Welcome to Real Obsessed. I'm John Turner. I'm Bill Evans. And I'm Jessica Wellman. On today's episode, we have a long list of yay or nays from John who has been out. We've got a new review on two different movies, The Invisible Man and Onward. And we have a new segment in which both John and I are going to try to appeal to Bo with movies he hasn't seen. And I'm going to leave the name of that segment until we get to it because we're just so impressed. A with little ourselves. hint. They're going to try to champion a movie for me. If anyone guesses this, <laughs> here's how we'll get people to participate. If anyone actually guessed this in advance, you can email the show and I will PayPal you $20. Wow. <laughs> um, and you can email the show at realobsessedpodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at realobsessedpodcast pod and we are all on letterboxd i'm jessica wellman Bo is Bo evans john is john turner 18 and hey now that we have kind of made friends with you guys maybe follow us on stitcher spotify apple maybe write a review of the positive five star variety we would very much appreciate it we would appreciate any feedback from anywhere by all means reach out i'd even take four stars i'm okay um, all right, so yeah, you want us to join the conversation? Well, you know what? I missed last week, so how about I join the conversation here? Oh, goodness. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, you know, it's, it's kind of like a debate. You guys mentioned my name a few times in the opening segment, so I think I get a chance to respond a little bit. That's fair. Of course. Yeah. That's reasonable. All right, so, Bo, we're going to start with you. Wes Anderson. Yes. First off, let me preface this by making it clear. I'm not nearly as into him as uh, most cinephiles, and I get, I get that he just may not you know, be your cup of tea. But I do, th- I do think he's a bit of an acquired taste, but not because he's inaccessible, but just because there's a certain dryness in the humor and the mannerisms takes a little bit getting used to. The, the dryness of the humor is one of the things I took issue with. Yeah. But, it's, it wasn't very humorous. And so I, that's the problem. I felt the same way the first time or two I watched one of his films. But over time, I came to really love it. Uh, I also think that Moonrise Kingdom is far from the best place to start. Uh, Rushmore seems like the natural starting point, but I'd argue Grand Budapest Hotel to be his best. But you can't stop with just those, as the animation style is so fun and unique. There's three more that movies. You've gotta give at least <laughs> one more, one of those a chance. And uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox is an easier watch than Isle of Dogs, so I'd go that way. And anyway, by then, hopefully you're just into it and you're excited to check out the rest. But Anyway, I think Wes is just, he's just one of a certain group of working auteurs who are widely acclaimed for a reason, and I feel like everyone heavily interested in film these days should at least be familiar with, and the vast majority end up really liking. And I wouldn't suggest watching their whole filmographies, of course, if you don't really get into them, but they just deserve more than this. And I like two, two others that are very popular with cinephiles who we re- really haven't discussed on the show yet, um, P.T. Anderson and the Coen Brothers. And I mean, it just kind of, they kind of all go in hand in hand, even if you're just getting into film and you watch a couple of theirs and you're really not into them, I couldn't possibly imagine suggesting to quit these guys. They're just too talented and too important to contemporary cinema. Pretty sure dismiss. I'm a fan of the Coen brothers. I'd have to look at the filmography, but I'm not, I'm not familiar with the first name you mentioned. Paul Thomas think. Anderson. Paul Thomas Anderson. Boogie Nights, sure. The Master. Oh, yeah. Magnolia, I, There Will Be I, Blood. I, 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 I have to say, I think some of his movies are legitimately awful mm-hmm. and some are fantastic. Right. It's very hit and miss for me. I've definitely seen some of those movies. I, don't I, like, I, I mean, I like, Inherent Vice is honestly the only one of his that I, and I mean, I think that Master is very overrated, but Inherent Vice, I oh. couldn't really get into, but all the others pretty Phantom much Phantom Thread, amazing. I watched recently, and I mean, 
it's agonized amazing, and it? suffered hmm. to the end of that movie. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it yeah, I, was I gave, I gave rough. it like four star. I mean, four out of five. I think I w- had it around number 10 or 11 of that year, and Oof. I really underrated it. It was one I had watched and turned off. And I was like, let me give it another go. And I watched to the end and was like, man, I should have just trusted that I turned it off for a good reason. Congrats on getting to the end, which really segues quite over to the rest of my response here very well. Because, you know, well, first off, I got to say for last week, great pick with Harakari. I've seen a fair number of older Japanese films and um, mostly via Criterion, and this is probably my favorite. And as far as Ernest uh, Lubitsch goes, I've only seen To Be or Not To Be, Shop Around the Corner, and Design for Living. I'm not sure if you've seen all those, but they're all, they're all good to great and definitely need to check out more. But on to the important part here. For your tendency to give up quite early on films, um, I'm pretty selective about what I watch myself because, you know, I mean, I got like 1,800 movies or so in my watch list, but I'm not, so I'm not going to waste my time with something poorly reviewed. But like, like say a movie like Bad Boys for Life, I mean, if it wasn't for the podcast, I would have never seen it. But on that note, I'm confident the vast majority of the films we're going to watch for this, you know, I'd be watching anyway. But when I do sit down to watch a film, I want to give it a fair chance, especially when it's something really critically acclaimed and by a phenomenal director. So when I hark on you, it's not, it's not for every movie, but it's for giving up specifically on films like Roma. Like, not only was that arguably the most acclaimed movie of that year, uh, but Alfonso Cuaron also directed Children of Men, Yitzhupama Tambien, Gravity, Prisoner of Azkaban, the best Harry Potter film. Oof. But anyway, Roma, Roma is admittedly <laughs> no. slow in the beginning. No to Harry, the Harry Potter one or all the other Oh, the no. It's, I, I am the minority. It is my least favorite because I think that Harry wow. Potter needs to privilege Harry Potter above all else. So that's why I prefer David Yates and Chris Columbus and, and the people that try to keep, you know, I, I don't think personal vision should be coming into the Harry Potter movies because you have so much to deal with with Harry Potter being Harry Potter. So Azkaban is my least favorite. And Goblet of Fire is my favorite. Just for the listeners to know a little bit about me, I never got into Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings. Like, I just didn't like them. So I'm not going to have any input on either one of those those uh, franchises. I mean, I I'm not usually big on franchises, but I think both of those are very, very good. Um, and I'm not usually big on fantasy either. So these, But they both work, they all work for me, and I think Azkaban is easily the best of the, of the bunch. But but they're all, they're all good, except for, except for the first one Take is... Takes a little time to really get into the story, but uh, all right. So where was I here? Let's let's uh. Anyway, so basically, you know, in Roma, I was bored for the first thirty to forty-five minutes. I'm not gonna lie, but by the end, I absolutely loved it. It just got better and better, and I was sure it was one of the best films of the year. And that it it also needed that early section to establish time, place, and character that would all pay off in spades later. But giving up on it. I, just can't, I can't, I can't. This is where you that. and I just differ. I, it is going to be impossible for me to watch something that has bored the tar out of me for 45 minutes, which is roughly a third of most movies, and it will do something that compensates for the fact that it has bored the tar out of me for 45. If 33% of something is unpleasant, generally it's just not coming back around for me. And this is. I will put this in the show notes. There's a great story or an article that Linda Holmes of NPR wrote six or seven years ago about just the fact that there's so much out there. There are so many shows now. There are so many movies now. And our access to these movies is unprecedented. Mm -hmm. It's not like you only have what your blockbuster has to choose from. That, in order to possibly stay sane about how much you want to see, you have to both, you know, cull 
and prioritize. And so for me, I just establish rules for myself. If I watch three episodes of a television series and I'm not into it, Mm -hmm. I'm done. That's three hours. This is giving a film another hour, you know? Okay, but percentage-wise... A television sure. show series, like but they're, most they're shows now, are like twelve so. episodes. So I'm saying about twenty five percent. I give up after seventy five pages of a book. I give up usually after twenty thirty minutes of a movie. And for these ones that you're saying I need to give them more, I'm giving them an hour, and I'm like, no, I'm done. Well, I, if, for most films, yes, I agree. I completely agree. If I'm totally bored in thirty minutes or so, yeah, if it's of some random you know, movie that hasn't gotten great reviews or something, then, then I'll probably give up at that point. But when it comes to something that's as heralded as this, which is like literally by far like the most acclaimed movie of that year, and it's by such a good direct, contemporary director, well, like how where, can... Because I, I don't think Alfonso Cuaron is as great as everybody thinks he is. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know what my taste is. And so, I mean, I saw that people liked Roma and, and that just has no bearing on how much I want to watch it because unless it's the critics that I like to follow what, whose what, tastes are similar to mine. What about if, if people specifically tell you that, hey, yes, this movie is boring for a little while, but it gets so, so, so much better. Then they know that this is not for me because it's so just, there's just zero. I, there's just zero chance of you, you ever seeing it. If you can't write like the that. first act of your movie well, I'm not good. I'm generally not going to believe you made I, a good movie. I do think it's written well. I think it. it yes, it's it's, it's a little bit boring. It's just a woman boring, doing but, chores for an hour. Oh, God, if I wanted that's to watch very, people very, do chores, I would put up a webcam in my really home. I really wish I would have watched this movie so I could have some input. In this you one. haven't seen it. I haven't seen Roma yet. Oh wow! It's on my watch list. Yeah, I mean, I it mean, is... It is just, like... Okay, you're really exaggerating when you're going for an hour. I think it's more like 30 minutes, maybe up to 45. You know, but, some privileged dude made it when he's like, what a revelation, women do chores. <laughs> you know, like, every a, girl that I know, this every woman I know did not like Roma. Because all of us are just like, yeah, chores. We've been there. Did, I've been doing them my whole Did y'all not get to the end of, the, the end of it then? No. <laughs> but, no, because I find it so ostentatiously offensive to act like people doing chores is just this amazing new thing because this privileged man has never had to do chores. This is a labor of love like to, to this woman who basically to his helped raise him. Who did who all his chores as a child him. because he was oh, too okay. rich and wealthy when you, to When do you've only chores. seen 30 minutes of the film here, you're not... I've you seen can't, 45 whatever. to an hour and I was bored out of my mind. It's because you totally missed the point of the movie. If you don't like them, quit them. <laughs> you've 100% missed the point of the movie, so there's no... like. I just don't see how this this podcast uh, has become it. about Roma. I know it's become about like let's just title this episode chores. Roma chores <laughs> episode chores. seven chores <laughs> <laughs> because that's what he's saying. He's like when a film feels like a chore to me, I should continue to suffer through the chore because no, there's some there's it, some it's like when your mom chores tells you need, you need to, to be do done chores because it'll some, make you a better person. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting word you're choosing chores because yes. In in life, as an adult or whatever, the chores need to be done. And when you when you're a, you know when you're a cinephile, you're big into movies, whatever. Like when there's something this highly acclaimed, I, I feel I it needs to be given a little more of a chance to. Anyway, on that note, another one. <laughs> the other one is uh, the Tree of Life. I can't recommend this highly enough. It's my number one of the decade. Can be found near the top of virtually every aggregated best of decade list, and it's a case 
I really liked it in the theater, but it wasn't until my second viewing that I realized how magnificent. Hold on, she's fighting her tongue. Poetic. I can tell. It was. Did you Did you watch this one? And it takes a little time getting an into oh, another thing. Another one she watched only. Yeah, thirty-three percent. I'm well aware. This, this is why I'm bringing these. I haven't two seen up. this one either, so I, would, yeah, let me I need also, to watch these movies. Like contextualize this by saying I have never seen a Terrence Malick movie. I didn't think was terrible. Oh my god, I, I might just walk out of the room. I can't handle this. It, he is oh. not for me. It I, is not my thing. Okay, so two days ago was my birthday. John came to my birthday party. Jess came to the... A minute we, we, of we, watched, we watched Onward together, and then Jess had to go. And then John went to the second half of my birthday party. Uh, and we discussed Malik. And I realized, after looking at my letterbox, that I had not seen any Malik films. So... Wes Anderson, when we started this, I hadn't seen any films. I haven't seen any Malik films, so I think I should start going into Malik just to see if I like it or not. Be, don't be, just ask for recommendations there. Don't go with any Malik. Yes, there is some Malik that is way too artsy and trans, transcendental and okay. whatever. He just goes for these weird things. But he does that on some films, but The Tree of Life is the one that's almost every cinephile is going to agree. It's where he takes that style, but actually, and it actually works so perfectly. And I mean, yes, there's some creative sequences in the movie, like harking back to the beginning of time and stuff that, you know, they're, they're a little bit out there, but it's just listen to that. Once sentence. you become enveloped in its rhythm, <laughs> when a film gets a sort of a, this sort of a claim that this one does, you got to give it the whole chance, meaning the whole film. Um, I've, I've given up on a few movies from time to time, but usually just cause I'm not in the right mindset and I'll come back to it eventually. But you know, it's too easy to view various scores online these days to waste your time, generally speaking, with films that aren't worth viewing. But man, some of these... A movie has to be terrible for me to quit. Like, the only one I can think of recently that I've, like, started and just, like, actually quit, like, I can't make it through it, is, like, Aquaman. Like, the most recent one. With, this uh... is... I, I'm willing to give all sorts of things a shot. Yeah. So I think that's also part of it, is I cast a wide net knowing that I'm going to bail a decent percentage of the time. That's fair enough, but you, but there's certain things when it's this highly acclaimed, you just this can't bail on those. I don't you can't bail care on those. If it's that high, I don't care. So you don't want to be. So you don't want to be in that conversation with when the best of the year, when when eighty percent of critics are putting this on there, or at least discussing it. Not necessarily. It doesn't have to be on your list, but at least to be say that you've seen it, that you ex at least seen I, the whole I thing. Gave it a you fair, give it a fair shot. I a gave fair it shake a fair is shake. A full movie. I watched thirty three percent of something. And, yeah, that's, that's and truly wanted to tear my eyelashes out one by one. That's how bored I was with it. The, just because I value my time too much to say and to see more movies in my life to just be like, well, you should continue to suffer through this. What should be an enjoyable experience with the hope that at some point in the next two hours, it's going to be less. I want to pluck my eyelashes out one by one. And that's one, too, where the people whose opinions I tend to agree with and my friends who know my taste are like, you will detest this movie. You know, like, I'm going in with all the information I really need and still being like, all right, I'm going to give it a shot. That to me, giving it an hour is very generous. I mean, you've, you've got a movie here just from a few days ago on Letterboxd that you wrote. It's, it's cheesy, lacking a foundation in reality and ridiculous. But I can appreciate it for that. Damn straight. And you yes. gave it three. Oh, yeah, six because out of ten. like, oh, so that I, movie got your full I time. I love me some lifetime cheesy movie style. So stuff. that movie gets, gets the get full time, but you can't those. give another hour 
to finish that movie. A movie that takes life. a break to go back to the beginning of time. Yeah, no, I'm I'm perfectly content with my decision not to give it any more of my it's, time. It's, it's perfect, just not it's necessary. Poetic. I'm sure anybody out there who's actually seen it will most likely agree. Maybe I've got to watch these movies. <laughs> anyway, this is just our. I mean. <laughs> I, I just, just want to get. I just want to know whose side I'm on, because right I now I don't know. Oh, on the movies <laughs> or on the approach? Believe, like, believe me, Bo, the trade will come up with something that is absolutely necessary for you to see. Right. I'm definitely going to be watching. These are at the top of my watch list now. Roma and Tree of Life. I'm watching put, put, those. Put Tree of Life up there. Right. Roma, I can recommend you 200 movies you need to see it before. And something Tree completely unrelated, definitely. The Boys from Brazil. That's also <laughs> like top three right there. Those are my top three watch list. I will rewatch The Tree of Life any day. All right. All right, so let's go on to yay or nay. Now that that's out of the way, what do we got? What do you got for us this week, Bo? Uh, I haven't been watching very much else. Uh, I've been I've started this new series on HBO called The Outsider. Uh, one of you heard of it? Heard of it? I haven't seen it. Dipped in for a minute and it seemed very intense, so yeah. I dipped back it, out very quickly. It's a horror-ish show. It's not very horror, to be honest. Um, it kind of tackles the boogeyman. And what if the boogeyman was a demon? Which, my wife is from Brazil, and apparently this is like a well-known thing in like Latin countries. These are the sort of questions that keep me up at like, night. Like, uh, down there they call it ecuca. Yeah. Interesting. In Mexico, I think it's el cuco. So their version of the boogeyman is the same thing. But yeah, it kind of dives into what if the boogeyman is an actual demon that kills children. So that's what The Outsider is about. I've, I've watched 60-70% of it, so I'm not done with it. I don't know. I can't really give it a yay or nay yet. I will finish it, and next week I will give you a yay or nay on that. I mean, how many episodes is this? That sounds like a lot of time. I think there's 10 episodes. I'm like, I'm like six and a half. Like how long episodes? Uh, yeah. Okay. About. But at this point, so at this point, if it's a nay, Jessica would have long given up on it. Yeah, so what, <laughs> correct. And, and, I, and I'm fine. When it's a TV show, yeah, because nobody has that kind of time. I, I have mixed feelings as of right now, so I have to see an ending Fair before enough. I like give a yay or nay. So I'm not giving a yay or nay yet. That's what I'm watching. I get that because with Hunters, I feel like we were both unsure where mm. we were at. Like we were in that middle ground mm. of it was working for me, but lots of stuff wasn't that you wanted to see what the landing looked like. Well, I definitely agree. Yeah. I mean, landings are super important, whether it's movies or TV shows, whatever. But or planes. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what about you, Jess? Um. I'm going to go ahead. Last week, we complained we did not have enough nays. But, oh, I was on a tear of crap this week. <laughs> uh, I saw a lot of bad stuff. Um, after not loving The Way Back, I was like, maybe I should go to some retro Peter Ware and see if one of his older movies that he produced in Australia was more interesting to me. So I went and watched The Last Wave, which was disappointing it was interesting in that it's it's kind of a courtroom drama that brings in aboriginals in australia in a way that at the time was very novel and interesting it doesn't age particularly well because it's totally like aboriginals are mystic and might have magical powers and it's, <laughs> it doesn't doesn't look as nice in the light of 2020 so not a huge fan of that one I thought I could go to the Lubitsch well again, but the Lady in Ermine is actually Lubitsch's last movie. He only worked eight days on it, and then he died. And this, like, very light, irreverent, rom-com-y kind of guy's movie got handed to, of all people, Otto Preminger. Wow. 
I, I don't know if they were just like, well, you're German. So this Otto Preminger, if you're not familiar, is a super serious, serious director. And so to give him this very whimsical fantasy in which like people are coming alive in paintings at night was, it was like watching a weird zombie Lubitsch film. And it was just like a question I never needed answered. What would a Lubitsch film directed by Otto Preminger look like? It, it looks unpleasant and unenjoyable. So actually I bailed about two thirds of the way through this one. I was just like, I can't anymore. And I turned it off. Uh, I did get to the end of Kajamusha. I saw that it was coming on. The great part about direct TV is that FX retro and TCM are right next to each other. So I can just search through in the coming days and see what was coming. I saw this Akira Kurosawa movie was coming and it stars the same actor I was talking about from Harakiri uh, Tatsuya Nakadai in so I'm like hey let's give it a go it's very strange in that this movie it's from 1980 it's in color but it is filmed basically with no close-ups whatsoever hmm. so it's it was an interesting experience to be kind of divorced it was almost like watching a play like there's the proscenium of the stage mm-hmm. and the stuff going on on it and I found I was really struggling to emotionally connect I think for that reason it also I mean, for especially for Kurosawa's surprise, like, the plotting and the pacing is a drag at points. Um, there are some great battle sequences. It's visually very interesting, so it does kind of keep you going. But at the tail end, I just was like, yeah, two and a half stars. So just on my side of not really worth it. Yeah, Kurosawa is somebody I have a lot of... I, he's probably one of the more acclaimed directors, so to speak, that I've struggled to connect with. I mean, like, Seven Samurai and Rashomon and Throne of Blood, I'm like, oh, amazing. And I, I love them. That This one, I was surprised that I was just very mad on it. Uh, and then the last one is another testament to the joys of quitting something. I had been told by a couple of friends, and I had read some reviews from people that I like, that said Trans-Siberian is on Amazon and it's worth a watch. Don't spoil it. So I didn't. I went in not spoiling it, and it was so boring through an hour that I couldn't imagine any twist redeeming it, and I quit. And then I went online and read the so-called twist and was very pleased to have tapped out when I did. My lone yay of the week is a movie from 1936. It was a nice palate-cleansing refresher for me. It is called Wife vs. Secretary. And it's an interesting kind of star studies. I love a good star studies look at a film because it takes Clark Gable and his two most popular leading ladies, Myrna Loy and um, Jean Harlow. And knowing that the audience loves both of these pairings, it creates this love triangle where Myrna Loy is the wife and Jean Harlow is the secretary. So you find yourself rooting for kind of both of you want everybody to be happy, even though it's not necessarily possible. And the added icing on the cake is that Jimmy Stewart in one of his first roles shows up in this as the secretary's boyfriend. So it was just an interesting look at like how early studio films and how studio films in general will look at these pairings and how what we know about those pairings can be used in a movie for emotional effect that I found quite enjoyable. I can see that. I can also see maybe some, and if it was this day and age, maybe they could find some ways to make this work. Vicky Cristina Barcelona style or something, but you know, maybe not in 36. So uh, anyway, as I, as Jess mentioned earlier, I have two weeks to cover where I watched a lot. So I'll try to fly by a lot of these 
Uh, and we'll skip over a few, but let's start with the best, which is a rewatch of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, it's now that it's playing in Vegas. It's one of last year's absolute best films. Unfortunately, it's only at Suncoast and will probably be gone soon. So if you're here in Vegas, uh, it's a must-see on the big screen. But And it's got one of the most just incredibly shot, emotional endings of recent years. But I'd really recommend trying to get out and check it out before it's gone. Um, on the Also on the super high recommendation side, I finally got around to seeing Stop Making Sense. Uh, Jonathan Demme's Talking Heads concert documentary from 84, uh, which it's often cited as the greatest film of its sort ever made. And I could clearly see why. I, it's, and it's on Prime right now. Um, I've never been into the Talking Heads at all, and, but I was captivated from the first song. And Demme's direction of the show is outstanding. Uh, he completely ignores crowd reaction shots. I wish more concert films these days did that. But he, and he focuses on the band, and they're just remarkable energy and I don't know, I, I just, for a band that I was not interested at all going in, I was shocked how much I loved it. Uh, another 9 out of 10 that I saw this week, I would, well, I got to see a Freebie and the Bean, which I had never even heard of before. I got to see it at the New Beverly in L.A. This is a Tarantino's theater where he brings, where he shows a lot of double features, like brings a lot of prints that he owns, and it's often pretty unique films. And anyway, this was a great discovery. It's like, it's a buddy action cop film from 74 starring James Caan and uh, Alan Alda. And it just hits on all cylinders. It's irreverent. It's racy. It's it's frank, frankly uh, awkwardly racist at times. But it uh, it just absolutely it's absolutely hilarious. And over the top action scenes. The the chemistry between Khan and Alda is tremendous. And the stunt work, I mean the stunt work is just it's a sight to behold. You don't see anything like that these days. With since CGI kind of took over everything, you don't get these action scenes. They're just they had to be seen to believe to be believed. I can't wait to like get it on Blu-ray and share it with everybody. Um, unfortunately, the second feature that night was uh, Busting, also in like a buddy cop dark comedy from the same year, and it definitely falls into my nays. Uh, stars Elliot Gould, who was actually there at the theater, I didn't, didn't know at the time. Elliot Gould and Robert Blake. I know. I, <laughs> I'm so disappointed I get a chance to meet him. I love Elliot Gould. I do too, and I'm so disappointed. But I, and Gould, was good, good, Gould was very good in the film, but Blake just did not work for me, and overall, I think part of the problem was after the high of watching Freebie and the Bean, this just did not live up to that and at all. So anyway, uh, lastly in LA, I got to see an early screening of Kelly Reichardt's new film, First Cow. Uh, I'm not sure if it's going to play in Vegas. I think it will a little bit, but it should come out this month. Um, and she was there for Q&A afterwards. And anyway, it, it's slow, but it's more accessible than most of her work. And it's, I mean, it's just really enjoyable in the end. It's great characters. It's a, it's lighthearted. It's, its location, its time and place, its setting back in, I think, Oregon in the early 1800s, like most of her films. Uh, just it, it's, it's just beautifully done. And I place it slightly behind Meek's Cutoff as, like, maybe as her second best film. But anyway, that's one to look forward to in theaters soon. Um, back home, since I've been back, I've watched a couple French classics from uh, Jean-Pierre Melville, uh, Le Samurai, which is kind of an inspiration for Drive and, and some other films. But it's strong and it gets a yay for me, but I wasn't as enamored as I hoped to be. It's, you know, it's really a very highly critically acclaimed film, and I'd only recommend it to cinephiles really interested in delving into that kind of stuff. Uh, the other film I saw of his is Le, Le Silence de la Mer, meaning uh, The Silence of the Sea. It's his debut from 49, and while it's, it's pretty worthwhile, it has a more interesting backstory. Um, it's based on a 1941 book by a French resistance writer published underground during Nazi occupation. Melville himself was part of the resistance and really wanted to tackle this project as his first film. Uh, it tells the story of a German officer who takes residence in the home of a Frenchman and his niece. The two of them take a vow of silence to never speak to the officer. And so pretty much the whole film is just them listening in silence while the officer tells them 
all about his love for French culture every night. Uh, this, it's sprinkled in with a lot of voiceover narration from the Frenchman, so all you really get is the two of them talking the whole time and never to each other. But it's got its flaws, but it's, it's just it's an interesting watch with, a, with quite a unique backstory in historical terms. Uh, anyway, you can find my reviews on all of these and more on Letterboxd. Uh, but lastly, I did a little deep diving into the Invisible Man, so to speak, uh, by watching the original film from 1933. Uh, it's one of the original Universal Horror Classics starring Claude Rains, and while the effects were surprisingly good for an almost 90-year-old film, the rest of the picture just seemed too much of a B-movie and not nearly as much fun as, as it could have been. So it gets a slight nay from me. I also watched uh, Upgrade, which is uh, Lee Winnell. I believe that's how we pronounce him. He's the director of The Invisible Man. It's his uh, breakthrough action sci-fi mashup from a couple years ago. Uh, before The Invisible Man, he'd only directed this and like Insidious 3, which I haven't seen. I can see a lot of The Invisible Man in Upgrade, uh, from the damage protagonist to the filming techniques he used in action scenes. And it's a definite yay for me, although just a 7 out of 10. But for a $5 million budget, he does like a spectacular job building this world. You've seen this, right, Bo? Uh, upgrade? Uh, upgrade, yes. I did it. Yeah. I liked it. I think, I think you probably liked it. That was a yay for me. Yeah, for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get into uh, Lee Winnell's current film in theaters. All right, The Invisible Man, starring Elizabeth Moss. Uh, it's a story about a couple. Uh, the man in the relationship is an abusive boyfriend. He is a world leader in tech, specific, uh, specifically optics. optics. And he dies... You missed Bo's air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> and leaves, I believe it was $5 million to his... We're gonna We're going to say ex-girlfriend. She ran away. His partner. Yeah, his partner. He's holding her hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well, then strange things start to happen. Uh, we don't know if she's going insane or... He or someone has figured out how to turn themselves invisible and start to really mess with her. So, what did we think of this movie, guys? I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I think for, for a kind of Hollywood blockbuster type, I don't know. If it doesn't really qualify for that, but it's more mainstream and everything. And I think it does. I think it does a fabulous job. And, it did uh, I gave it an eight in the end. Okay. I, gave it, I gave it a seven. I, uh, I really enjoyed. I mean, this was originally written by H.G. Wells. Like you said, it was originally made in 1933. Mm -hmm. uh, 20 years ago, uh, they did a movie, Hollow Man, with Kevin Bacon. And both of those films, and all the sequels, there was a bunch of sequels after 1933. Uh, the Invisible Man 2, the, 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 Re the Revenge of the Invisible Man. Yeah. Um, all of those were... H.G. Wells, I believe, said this when he wrote it. He goes, they're invisible. Like Everybody in those old films became invisible. And he wrote it that way because they were doing awful things because they didn't have to look at themselves in the mirror. Now, this is going to be a bit of a spoiler. In this movie, that is not what this is about. They take some uh, different direction with this, and they turn it into a suit. So it kind of goes into the psyche of the abusive boyfriend. He still has to look at himself in the mirror when he's alone. 
Well, and the movie, too, the point of view is not, I am this person who now has the ability to become invisible. Mm-hmm. It is a person who is being terrorized right. by the invisible person. And mm-hmm. that's the big kind of spin on it right. that is different from the movies you were talking about. Yeah, this, this is very much focused on our victim here, Elizabeth yes. Moss. And it, it's really, this is, this is her vehicle, and it's all the better for it. Just like yeah. almost every movie that stars her is all the better for it. And, I mean, she just, she takes a role that, yeah, I mean, if this was a poor actress or, or just a mediocre actress in this role that just does, or a good one that just doesn't give it her all, whatever, it's it's not going to work nearly as well. But she commands the screen the whole time. She's just a joy to watch. You want to root for her, mm-hmm. even though I mean, and there's also like you know, her, her character isn't isn't like straightforward. Just she's a damaged protagonist. Obviously, she's been she's been abused. Mm-hmm. She's getting out of an abusive relationships. So this is this is how we automatically have somebody to root for, of course. But I mean, there's there's just a lot to her. She's a She's a complicated character, and for a film like this, it's just fabulously well done. I enjoyed it. I know we talked about some plot holes, and like during the movie, while I was watching it, like I was trying to like figure out how we could get around these plot holes. Like, I don't know if we can talk about the death here. Uh, I wouldn't talk about any specific deaths. Yeah, but but yes, there are there is there's like don't scrutinize the third act. Is like if right. you think yeah. too hard about the end of this movie, it unravels very very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, um, there, there's some there's some great death scenes. Just put it that way. There but are, the point is, you can surprising ones. You there. can come up with some of your own theories of how this was able to be done. Like it's not complete. Like they're not complete holes. Like you can throw a little bit of dirt in there, and they're not, you know, just complete. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, Although it's I, definitely, I have a, to it's say, definitely a movie of sorts. If you think sorts, someone invisible well is following you around, you would shut a lot more doors <laughs> than this girl does in this movie. Absolutely. I would be locking everything yeah. behind me, and <laughs> she's just like wandering through open air at all times, which was my, my one thing that did take me out of. What is, like, I think, you know, for me, when horror is a great vehicle for. Or well, is this a horror phone bow? No. Horror is a great vehicle for metaphor, and the metaphor here for the fact that domestic abuse is considered an invisible crime because it's something that people don't see, and that's the difficulty around the whole Me Too movement and believe women and that sort of thing is you have to put faith in something that you aren't seeing. Uh, additionally, just like the way that this movie deals with gaslighting and what it feels like in those relationships to be gaslit into believing something, to believing that you're crazy when you're not crazy. I love the way that that was handled. My cousin who has been in bad relationships went and saw this with me and she was really affected and impacted by that. If I had a criticism of this movie, it is that that metaphor gets, it's a little on the nose sometimes. And that there are moments where, to me, this feels like a somewhat calculated studio film capitalizing on the Me Too movement. That, I mean, I I enjoy this movie. I think, I just said, I think the metaphor works. But there are moments where I was like, oh, that's just a little on the nose. Is there one specifically without getting into spoilers you can throw out there? Um, you know, I... Without spoiling it, no. I mean, it it all fits, you know. But, well, here's towards the end when she has got all the reason in the world for people to believe her story. 
one of her closest friends is still not believing her. And I'm just like, this is just preposterous at this point that he would not be on her side. Her sister. In a, in a, in a her sci- sister. In a sci-fi. Are you talking about the man no, she's living with? No, the very end right, right. her police officer right. friend. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, just, just there's, just, there's, know, a, there's a lot of suspension of disbelief here will... from both us as the audience and as, you know, for other characters to believe her story because it's, I mean, this is I science, think, science fiction. Here's another way to phrase yeah. it too is I think as well as this metaphor works, I don't feel like this was some Me Too parable that the director was really desperate to tell and bring these stories to the fold. I think, and kind of reading about it, it sounds like this was spitballed in a development meeting of, Mm. oh, it's an invisible crime, invisible. And it's like just this very surface layer metaphor that I, I feel like maybe doesn't have the soul that I would like it to have. I, th- I think it's pretty intentional, but at the same, but at the same time, you know, he's not trying to make huge statements or anything. He's, you know, he's he's first of all, he's a guy. I mean, he's, you know, I'm going to leave it up to some some great female directors to get to really do that. But as as far as I think, I think it, the metaphor works. I think he brings in the opening scene. He has, you know, when the, the opening scene, first of all, is tremendous. It's and, the best part of the movie. Yeah, I think. and and with her, like yeah. the way she has to tiptoe around the house, and you can see, you can see everything. You can see their whole relationship just from little movements of her eyes, or just, just, just the. I mean, it, it's just clear from the start without any explanation. And and I think that you know she basically has to become invisible in that first scene herself. And I think I mean, there's there's little bits and pieces like that that are really cool in the film that the director writer director works works with and and i mean just the way he also shot it i mean it's there he uses some camera angles to really get us when it comes to fight scenes or something to like like he does with upgrade a lot to really get us in into the action in a different way and uh and lastly i want to say that the spaces when when they're like empty spaces where obviously we have a lot to play with here cinematically because we're always looking around the screen looking for everything and anticipating things and you know, because you're assuming there's a character there a lot of times and that we don't see. And these empty spaces, the way he plays, the way he makes the camera like almost another character in some of these I agree. instances. The suspense is, is very great. well done. The suspense is very well done in this movie. Uh, and going back to like not believing her, I mean, like if you told us that there's an invisible person no, following no, you around. I'm saying it at the end when the cards have kind of fallen uh-huh. and there is someone who seems to be the brainstorm mastermind behind this that the police are believing uh-huh. when that is in question. The fact that she, the police officer, who is her good friend, is just like, no, you, you were, you're still crazy. <laughs> you're still stupid for thinking that is... I don't want to spoil it, but well, it's I, I think, preposterous. Here's my point. I think it written, it written, it's done great to be ambiguous for a while, and, and I really but appreciate that, that especially point, not knowing anything about the movie going but in. But my point, point is, I if you told it. us this as yourself right now, yes. we probably would have a very difficult time <laughs> believing you. But if your ex-boyfriend was a world leader... An optics optics. stick. And we just had the crime effectively solved, proving that 75% of my story is got a lot of stuff to back it up, and that this next teeny tiny step in believing things is just so insane to him, he couldn't entertain it, is ridiculous. I also want to talk about the tech, because I feel like this was... We live in an age where that can't be that far off. Oh, I'm I mean, sure it's not. We have planes that... There are probably there, special ops teams that, in the Navy SEALs wearing <laughs> some version of yeah. this. I mean, that we have planes that can fly incognito now. 
I mean, they have cameras on the bottom and cameras on the top, and like they shoot the sky and they show it on the bottom of the plane, and you cannot see it. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it would be completely invisible like they do it in the film, but I I, I kind of see it as I don't know if either one of you have seen the movie The Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger. This is like back in the '80s, I think. But like The Predator, like you can see something's there, like because like the behind him is a little bit blurred. It's like the camouflageable lizards and stuff. Yeah. Like a chameleon. Like, I think it would probably be more like that, but still, I don't think that this is completely... I know it's sci-fi, but I don't think it's completely out of it's the realm of possibility. Fetch. Yeah. So I thought I, that... I, I, thought I enjoyed that, that part of it. Just like thinking about that this could possibly be real in a way, not like it is shown. But. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I do definitely appreciate that he went for as much realism as he could, given yeah. given the given the exact nature of, of the beast here. but and, and I think he did a very good job with it. I, I, my main, the only reason I don't even rate it even a little bit higher is just because it is, you know, it, it, there's, some, there's a lot of cheesiness here. I, I don't think the, I, and I definitely think there's some plot holes that aren't perfectly, they can't be perfectly filled. But overall, it's just a fun time. It's a fun time at the cinema. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very good suspenseful movie, and it's got a great performance from Elizabeth Moss that probably won't be talked about at awards time because of the genre, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it still deserves a lot of And attention. we all like this, and we all like the next one. And two weeks ago, we didn't like either one of the movies, so it's actually a nice turn of events to be able to talk positively, positively about two movies that for we watched sure. this yeah. week. I'm glad, I'm glad to Universal for in this whole attempt to bring the dark universe of its monster movies back. They failed on everything, and, and this <laughs> was true. the one that they managed to kind of pull a victory out of. So I think I think we have totally, uh, obviously, Elizabeth Moss and also Lee uh, Wenell to thank for that. Mm-hmm. And, and I thank you both, because I don't think you were interested in, this, in seeing this at all. But uh, No, I was... Actually, I, I wanted to see this. I, didn't, oh, you did? I wasn't okay. looking forward to Onward, to be honest. Okay. Um, okay. But, I mean, I enjoyed it. But I think is it time to get into my segment? Yet? Can we get we to mine? Oh, come on, to to mine. Oh, it is time for me to it get into my segment. For you. It if is you time can take the floor now. for a new segment that we're gonna call Bow Champs. I wrote this Bo in Shops? chat and you just assumed the pronunciation was very American and not French, which is Beauchamps. Well, it looks like Beauchamps. So we're going with Beauchamps. Well, and it's time it's segment, so that's what it is. for you two to give me a movie. And before we started, I gave them uh, an idea to come up with a, a movie. A prompt, if you yeah. will. So they're each going to provide me with a movie. And I'm going to watch it before the next recording of this podcast. And I am going to champion one of their uh, movies that they provide. And it's going to be a competition. We're going to keep up with this. I'm going to keep score. And I don't know how long it's going to go. And how we are rating this is whatever film you give the higher rating to, right? And if it's like you you gave an 8 out of 10 to both of them, you will tell us which one you preferred. Yes, you still have to choose. Exactly. That was my, yeah, I was going to say that. Like if I give both a 7, like it's going to be which one I enjoyed more. So for sure, there's going to be a winner. There's, there's always a winner, no matter... Anytime you compare two films, there's always There a can only be one. And, <laughs> and each time that we do this, what you're asking for will be very different. different. Yes. But this first time, I liked that you went very... Very broad. Essential yeah, just, and broad at the same I, time. I just asked them to give me... And this is all, like, something I haven't seen. They always have to give me something I haven't seen. So I asked them to provide me a movie that is their favorite or highest rated, that is... A movie that they love that I have not seen. So just their favorite, their highest rated, whatever they want to give me. Like as broadly as possible for the first time. 
Well, I may have misinterpreted this just a little bit. When you say favorite or highest rated, I definitely gave it a favorite of enjoyability uh, and, and high, very highly rated. I yeah. rated this film a 9 out of 10. Okay. Um, but, you know, I've obviously got plenty of 10s I could throw out there. But you know I what? did weigh I mine to towards what I think Bo will Exa- I did the same. I felt like you both do that. I to win. Yeah, exactly. So I have... <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to take you a little bit out... A little bit out of your comfort zone, I think, but at the same time, something that's very accessible that's not going to... Well, first first of all, I got to go with a comedy because I think that's what you're mostly looking for in life. You want to be... You either want thrillers. You want you want thrillers that like dark thrillers like Christopher Nolan style, whatever, mainstream generally, but also... Or you just want to have a great time in the movie and you want to laugh. So I'm, I'm going to go with a, one of my favorite comedies of the last like four or five years, um... That wasn't quite mainstream, but wasn't super independent by any means either. Uh, it stars the two Haley's. Joel Osment? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking to the if you could come up with this one quickly when I Mills? say the two Haley's. No. Current Haley. Young women. Haley Mills is Haley, a woman? Yes, but Haley Lou Richardson. And, uh, of course, I'm going to blank on the name as soon as I say this. But, uh, yeah, and Haley uh, Steinfeld. Or maybe you don't pronounce it. Hallie. Hallie. Okay. Okay. Well, we got a Haley and a Hallie. Whatever. Close enough. Uh, in the Edge of Seventeen. Uh, this is from. I win. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. See, I, this is why I want to go out of his comfort zone just a little bit. Um, obviously, this is a. It's a coming of age, comedy. It's got. It's definitely got dramatic elements too, but mostly a comedy that that. Uh, I, you know, I say it's out of his element just because obviously it's starring two young women. It's kind of a female high school experience, whatever, it's... I could probably let Jess explain it better Woody than me. Woody Harrelson is... It does have Woody Harrelson in a great little sporting role. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just... It's a beautifully scripted comedy. That, that's, I, I really, really loved this movie when I first saw it. The Edge of Seventeen. The Edge of Seventeen. It's on the list. Yeah. I'm guessing you've never heard of this one? I think I have. Definitely. Yeah. Obviously, I haven't seen it. But... All right. I took a different tack to this because Bo is missing a lot of, I would say, like pantheon kind of movies so agree with this when i went and looked at my wall of dvds and said to myself what pantheon movie do i love and i just go i have a lot of friends who want to try older movies and black and white movies and they're not really sure how to get accustomed to it that i went back to one that always wins people over i have the dvd for you ready to go (laughs) 12 Angry Men. All right. From one of the great years of cinema, one of my favorite, favorite years, 1957, in one of my favorite, favorite genres, courtroom dramas, 12 Angry Men I picked because it's from the era of filmmaking I enjoy the most, and because it's one of those movies that is decidedly cinematic, in that it is the story of a jury deciding a court case in the jury room that takes place in real time. So it's a bit, you know, formally experimental, but it's so classic. And Sidney Lumet directed it, who is one of the greats of all time. And one of the things I like about it, too, is that it's from that era where there was this strange era in filmmaking in the 50s where people would write teleplays 
they would write these hour-long shows to go on television, which was a new medium, and they were still working things out, and there weren't series. And they would put on these kind of one-act plays as shows. And so 12 Angry Men started as a one-act teleplay, and then it became an actual theatrical play, and then it became a film that has become a ubiquitous cinema classic that I have a very strong feeling you will have a good response well, to. I almost hate to say this, but I totally agree with Jess. And I, I, I mean, I give both these movies a 9 out of 10, and I, I, but I would definitely say 12 Angry Men is certainly the better film. Um, but you know what? I, I just don't have faith in both when it comes to old films. Both faces DVD. He's touching it like she, it has coronavirus. No, no, no. <laughs> what she doesn't realize is I've actually always privately fantasized about being on like a jury and like a murder oh, trial. I'm not even making this up. <laughs> I was on a jury on a murder trial. Really? And I had my 12 angry men moment in the jury room where I'm like, wait, <laughs> we have a civic duty to talk this through. And we ended up in a very different place than when we started deliberations. Oh man. Had anybody else in your jury seen this movie? Yes. Yeah. Right. You lived I'm, my I'm dream. You rewatch <laughs> I mean, it every it was, night and inspiration. Someday so I will tell you the big long story. This, oh, yeah. it was a Hender Tucky murder. It was a stabbing. Um, it was a guy who apparently had filed his teeth down to look like a vampire. There's a lot. As one does. It's a long, <laughs> it's a good story to tell over a couple of drinks. What these that sounds days. great. But not as good a story as 12 Angry Men. <laughs> I think you're going to love it. And this one too, if you've seen 12 Angry Men. Um, I think you can get it on Amazon. There is an HBO version of 12 Angry Men that came out in 97. Um, in this movie, it's Henry Fonda and Lee J. Cobb are kind of the two jurors that stick out. In the newer one, it's Jack Lemmon and George C. Scott. And I don't like remakes very often, but I would actually say I love the 97 one perhaps almost as much as I love uh, the 57 one. I don't think I've ever seen the newer one, but yeah, the 57 is definitely... It, it's If I had to pick, like... 10 pantheon films so to speak from back in the 50s 60s or 40s that that Bo would probably like and probably appreciate hopefully hopefully as well as they should be appreciated mm -hmm. this would this would be one of them and this is so actually, yeah this is actually another discussion i had with john on so my birthday about how i need to like watch some more films from the 50s and 60s because i don't really have a lot yeah, i was actually looking through your list of those today and yeah, i'm, I'm seeing like maybe you've seen eight films from the 50s when four I of them are disney movies like, all of all of the like, ones oh, that God, i kind God. of i did the thing where i like pulled it halfway out of my dvd shelf and I went and looked, and basically none of the yeah. ones that I had were ones that you had seen. Um, but yeah, that's that's a whole that's a whole another podcast we need to do. But <laughs> just yes. Bo, Bo this is our Bo doesn't know. That's my podcast yeah. idea. Our spin-off. <laughs> Bo doesn't know. All right. Uh, you know, here's where I throw in a cheesy pun about moving onward. Um, <laughs> Because the next movie we are going to discuss is Onward. It's the latest film from the Pixar Studios, and it is the story of two elf brothers. But when I say elves, this is a movie that takes place where there are mystical creatures like centaurs and elves and unicorns, but they live a very suburban existence, not unlike mankind. The younger brother is turning 16 years old, and he learns on his 16th birthday that his father, who died when he was just a baby, will, in fact, be coming back for one day via a magical spell. There's a lot of magic in this movie. 
However, the magic goes a little awry, and he and his older brother uh, have to go on kind of a Joseph Campbell hero with a thousand faces kind of quest through suburbia to try and make this day with their father the most that it can be before it is too late. So, what did we think overall of Onward? I really... Really? I, I didn't think that it lived up to, like, of course, Up or Toy Story or Wally or, like, The Incredibles. Like, it didn't live up to that Pixar expectation of what we've come to expect from Pixar. Uh, but I did enjoy it. I didn't absolutely love it. I didn't think it was exceptional or anything. I just thought it was good. I, mine is, is the same thing. It's yeah. a tentative yet. I yeah. liked it. I'm happy that I saw it. I don't think I'll need to see it again. I'm a yay for kids and a nay as far as as far as adults like connecting on the same level. Like m- most Pixar movies are, first of all, most are excellent and most are just great for kids and adults on different on different levels. And I just don't think this one worked near as well as as their standard. In fact, it's hmm. pretty much at the bottom of my entire Pixar list. Well, uh, so here's a question then: Is it? But it's still marginally. It's still okay. Is it fair? For us to judge this movie so harshly because it's not movies we liked better. You know, like when you bring that Pixar expectation to it, I was thinking about this, like how fair is it to say, well, it's not Finding Nemo, you know, like. I get that, but I think. How much do we punish it for not being the exceptional Pixar I mean, we still liked it, we just. I know, but I wonder how much if it was, if you told me this was a DreamWorks animation movie and I went in would I feel the same way about it? And I feel like I probably would have been more favorable toward it. I don't know about I, that. I don't, I don't I think don't I would have so. been. I, I think I would have given the same score either way. Yeah. I, 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 just, I don't really think about the fact that it's Pixar while we're watching it. The only thing that was very disappointing in, in that it's Pixar is that it's it did not have a normal Pixar short before it because of the whole Disney I, I want to get into that Fox for sure. merger. It's got a Simpsons short, and I've never been a fan but of it. But this kind of goes back to my viewpoint on like um, uh, award ceremonies, like award... Like if a movie one's like Best Picture and like I didn't see it that year and I like go back and watch it later, that doesn't like I can't think of the word I'm looking for. That doesn't yeah, it like doesn't skew, yeah, it doesn't affect it doesn't my score at all. Like I'm gonna score it how I'm gonna score it. Like this would still be a six for me, or I think I gave it a six. This would be still be a, yeah. doesn't yeah, matter who's behind it. Six, did we all give it a six. Yeah. Did we? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, it'd be a six no matter I mean, who. Six is like, fine. Do I think I would give it a nine? No. Could I see myself saying seven? Yeah. And the only reason I think we're like comparing it to those other amazing Pixar movies is because Pixar made this. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. the only reason. That is literally the only reason, yes. Yeah. But at the same time, it's just... it. I mean, we're not... I, 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 I think this actual score I'd give it, whether it falls like... Whether it's DreamWorks and it's one of their better ones, or whether it's Pixar and it's one of their worst, I think my score is going to be the same either way. It's just, obviously, you can't help but think about those a little bit. So, yes, the, the short, which Jessica and I love short films... Uh, before this was a Simpsons, Simpsons short, and yeah, it was. It did not have the same effect as a normal Pixar short. I kept waiting, like be over, and let's do the normal Pixar short. When is this yeah. going to end? To do that, and then as I said, it kept going on. I was realizing this is not. This is it. Also, it was my birthday, and I was supposed to get a free small popcorn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I missed the short. He I missed it more of the short than true. I missed of the lodge. Trying to convince this woman that she needed to bring him popcorn. <laughs> well, I was very much involved in the getting the bow of the popcorn too. So John just... got me a popcorn, and I appreciate it. Thank you, John. 
Happy right. birthday to me. Yes, happy birthday, bud. You know, when I think about this movie and I try to get a little more granular about what I enjoyed versus where it, it doesn't work for me, it is very slow to get started. There is mm-hmm. an ex I mean, this is a movie Absolutely. that starts with like a Lord of the Rings level exposition into the past, explaining how magic and the realm work. And then you've got to meet the one elf brother and you've got to learn that his dad died and you've got to learn that it's his birthday and that has he has this older brother who's kind of a screw up and you've got to understand how this world works and it's just that yeah, th- takes a long time yeah and there's really not much enjoyable as far as comedy or whatever when it comes when it came to that world building it was just there because you ha- it, you needed it or you're kind of in the middle of nowhere I guess and you I mean, it. it maybe does you could kind have of put plant some plot seeds <laughs> that I think it, they elegantly sure. tie back into in a, a not super obvious way later in the film. So it is important to set some of these. I I chuckled, like, there are visual references in this, as there are in any Pixar movie, where as you pay attention to, like, the little things in the background, I found that more enjoyable and humorous than the more yeah, the ver- verbal or... jokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, agreed. I I told the guys this, like, my father died when I was nine years old of cancer, which it kind of seems like in this elf space, cancer is kind of what this dad died of too. A very long, painful disease. That I thought I would relate to this so much more in that yearning of wanting to not just see your dead parent, but get to know somebody that you were deprived of getting to know very well. And so there are moments, there's a moment with a cassette tape which I think just was my favorite moment of the whole movie in that it really just kind of honed in on what it's like to, when someone dies, become really obsessive about whatever you have left of that person, even if it's the answering machine message that they left. You know, these completely inconsequential things become of monumental importance. So they had that moment early on, and I thought that they would build on that grief a little more and instead they took it in this very like rah rah yay be happy with what you have anyway kind of route that for me just didn't emotionally satisfy me i I agree uh i connected to this movie in a similar way as you uh my grandfather helped raise me after my parents divorce and he died on my 10th birthday and so i connected with this movie in that way and like you're talking about like how you hold on to things just because it meant so much to like your childhood. Uh, I remember that he used to like shave in the mirror with like a safety, like an old timey safety razor. And he had another one and he would like take the straight razor out of it. And I would like, I would put shaving oh, cream on cute. my face and like shave, like pretend shave. So like, I still have that safety razor and, uh, that's like a, something I was always hold on to. Um, and this movie didn't really hit me emotionally until like the very end. Um, and even then I was like, sniff yeah that was kind of sad same way like my eyes watered up but i never actually teared up you know so yeah and i think it's because you know they kind of chose to not go the pathos route they decided to to present a message of optimism and positivity that i mean i appreciate and i think that's useful for kids who are grieving over loss especially but as, you know as someone who's been through it i'm like well that's not how it works you know like <laughs> and i have two older brothers and like i yeah it's, i it's saw a, a lot of our relationship in this movie yeah, it's too, very much well. a brotherly love yeah, yeah. in the end it's, yeah. it's much more than i saw a lot of what it seems like to be i definitely connected with that part of the movie uh speaking of the older brother barley 
<laughs> you're not going to hear me make this argument a lot because there's not a lot of times I'm watching a movie and I'm like, oh, that should have been cast by somebody else for sure. Uh, but just like when you said like Paul Rudd would have been a great Lonnie Flash last week, uh, the whole time we were watching this movie, I was like, Chris Pratt is not the perfect part for this. Wait, is it, it Jack Black? Been, should have been Jack, Jack Black. Black. Exactly. exactly. For yeah. sure should have been Jack Black. Well, I mean, what are they thinking? Like Jack Black. He acts like Jack Black. I want to know I if they were, actually offered it to him. I, I, I think they were trying to do like Chris Pratt used to play more doofy screw up, you know, on Parks and Rec. I my from what I've seen of that show, yeah. that's what he did. He definitely does, but not as good as Jack Black. Like know, this but is, the other problem uh, is that Barley is the in theory supposed yeah, exactly. to be so like totally twenty two years old. And yeah. I think we're at the point of Jack Black where he would feel like like a weird meatloaf aged sibling versus <laughs> someone who's reasonably close in age. That's my only argument against it. I don't like your argument. I want Jack Black to play this part. <laughs> I want a remake. I want a remake, remake. Okay. of this. <laughs> but the one role that has to remain the voice that it is is Octavia Spencer, Spencer yeah. as the Manticore. Because yes. she, this film had me really dragging. And towards the beginning of once they get on the road for their adventure, they go to see this manticore, and she brings a pile of energy to this <laughs> yeah. movie that was desperately needed. Yes. And just that her character is... As someone in my mid-30s, I'm like, oh, you know, she's a character who's, like, compromised her integrity and done <laughs> what she needs to do to get by. And that is one of those Pixar moments where I was like... You understand adulthood too well. <laughs> I was just relating to that piece of it so much. And she, her energy and mm -hmm. enthusiasm, and, and she is a character that kind of appears and, and continues to reappear throughout the film, that there's a jewel journey of the brothers and then their mother, voiced by Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and the manticore are kind of trailing them. That That journey was almost like... Give me this Thelma and Louise movie versus what we're watching because I'm all about what's happening in this car versus what's happening in the van. Right. Absolutely. I think a lot of the supporting characters were, were much more entertaining, funnier, yada yada than 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 the leads. But you know, it it works fine. It's fine. I. You know, it's just one of those. I just want to say, okay, it's fine. Let's move on. I mean, I think it's one of those. If you have Disney Plus, wait for it. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, unless you, you, unless know, you have kids, kids are obviously. Definitely yeah. gonna want to see it. Yeah. I mean, if you don't I take them say, theater, I, that's you fine. You know, I have my nephews are, it, you know, older brother, younger brother, half siblings, but their fathers aren't in the picture. That I did have that moment of like, I bet my younger nephew would really get something from this movie. Yeah, I just I don't think this is going to be one that any that kids are going to put on repeat at home. Like they, they you don't do think they're gonna buy of, with plenty of others. Oh, they, might, they might buy it because the parents is gonna buy whatever figures. Pixar. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't, I don't see that happening. I mean, I think it is kind of funny to watch the the Barley character has like the it it's an aesthetic that I wonder if children will even understand of the rock obsessed denim vest wearer. That that's I mean, it almost feels dated, you know. Oh, like yeah, 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 definitely. That's like I was about to say that. Sibling I don't think there's a lot of that left in yeah. the late. You know the mid nineties. Yeah, yeah. I don't think and there's I'm a lot like, of. And I'm like, what though. child will under even understand what this person is supposed to be? I mean, it's still around. I mean, all fashion like, yeah, no, continuously. Like, 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 Twenty-year-olds out there being like ACDC. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I see it sometimes. Like I'll be walking into a store and there'll be like two teenagers walking out with like. Like you said, like ACDC or something like old rock. Look of the shirt. They don't even know who the band is. It's possible, or 
you know, their their parents are rockers, man. You never know. I mean, yeah, it's true. I, yeah. I was into all sorts of music much older than my time when I was that age. So yeah. I guess it is possible. Yeah. And if you are Barley and have a band called Smote to, <laughs> to follow along with, perhaps I would do that as well. All right. So, I mean, I think it's interesting to, to have us all be slightly positive about two movies and be on the same page. And thankfully, I think we still had stuff to, to talk about and discuss. Absolutely. And, I, I hope we're and positive say, on every movie. In the first 15 minutes of this, we <laughs> certainly had enough disagreement for the episode, so <laughs> yeah, it we balances got, out. Got that out of the way early. Uh, for our next episode, uh, and the episodes going forward, you guys will have to bear with us a little bit. We are in Las Vegas, which is a tourist-heavy place, and with coronavirus and things getting canceled and shut down and whatnot, we're just not sure Conventions are being shut down. we're going to be over the next few weeks, so... You know, we are committing to doing an episode next week. We will be talking about The Way Back, which I think all three of us are going to find time to see. The Hunt, uh, I can't guarantee that we will all be watching it. And, of course, we're going to find out who the first bow champ is. Yeah. Between (laughs) a matchup I thought I'd never see in my lifetime, (laughs) The Edge of 17 and 12 Angry Men. So be sure to tune in for us next week on that. Subscribe, follow, chat, email, vote on your own who should be Bochamp. By all means, reach out because if we are going to end up quarantined for a month, what better to do than catch up on Real Obsessed? And by the way, vote for your own because you can watch uh, you can watch The Edge of Seventeen on Netflix. I'm not sure about The Twelve Angry Men if it's streaming anywhere. I have no idea because I hardly have any streaming services. (laughs) I just DVR what's on TCM. Gotcha. But uh, with that in mind, find time to watch. You know, hopefully you've got time to kill on the couch. And we will check in with you next week.